Well, a very good Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Friday Live on this first Friday, January 7th, 2022. I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. And it's been quite a while. It's been about a month. We took we've a little enjoyed, hiatus. <laughs> we've enjoyed the music, though, and well, that, so many of you wrote in right. about that. So that's right. we're so. on the same page with that Christmas music, which should go right through this Sunday, Baptism of the Lord. Oh, right? well, I don't think we're playing any. Hmm? We're not playing any movies. No, but I mean, oh, well, oh. even on Sunday at Mass, we can sing it. Oh, now, sure. Today at the EWTN Mass, you said they sang We Three Kings. I heard, yeah, We Three Kings, they were singing at their Mass. So, so we can oh, Actually, we do, have a, we do have a Christmas song we'll play just after Yes. At first break here. So We're we just have one trickling Christmas out song. with it. And then I used it, well, yesterday's program was all a little history of yeah. Christmas music. You, you hate know? to give it up. Now, you said at uh, St. Magdalene's they're going to keep all your Christmas decorations up to the presentation, February right, 2nd. February 2nd, which is an old So they're on the old calendar. The old they're tradition. On the old calendar. Is it an Italian tradition or just, I think, Polish also? It could be a cultural, but the old world, certainly old calendar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a liturgical calendar. Christmas did go to, to the presentation. Right. Anyway, we're happy you're here, and today we have a lovely program getting back together, getting kind of dusting off the mothballs here, a little rusty. I was <laughs> trying to get back into the swing of things. I mean, physically on the desk? Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't dust this, you know, because I'm afraid to touch it. Well, well, that's why right. that, that, that Swiffer duster, you can just, I do that. I, I, it doesn't disturb anything. It's very, I'll let you continue. It picks up the it. dust automatically, Swiffer. Yeah. Uh, so, the, anyway, a little later on, a few minutes from now, we're going to have on Kristen Van Uden. Uh, she's from Sophia Press, and she's going to talk about a new release they have coming out called A Cardiologist Examines Jesus, all about Eucharistic miracles from a, a medical viewpoint. This mm-hmm. cardiologist who examines these miracles and has examined, I think, five different miracles. Fascinating book. So Kristen will be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, this hour, uh, Jim will be here with the weather. Hey, I hope you f- fared well. I think our parking lot is already clear. <laughs> It melted here. As cold as it is, yeah. the sun is strong and it melts. The sun on, on asphalt or concrete. Now we have a, a, asphalt out there. Especially the when it's out. only a couple of inches. Yeah, so that's gone. But anyway, Jim will be here with the weather to give us uh, tell us what's going on in this uh, brand new month. Uh, also, we're going to play Name That Catholic Tune. So, back uh, by popular demand. We bring it back. And then uh, next hour, our good friend Father Gary Koch will give our gospel reflection on this Sunday's gospel for the baptism of the Lord. And also Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, who has written a book called Ministers of Christ about the traditions and history of liturgical ministries. He's got quite the resume, mm-hmm. so he'll be, um, so he'll be here a as world well. of knowledge. And we have time. music, so we'll play some music for you. But first mm-hmm. we're going to pray, and uh, we again thank all of you for your very wonderful cards and letters and emails and kind notes uh, and your extreme generosity in December, helping us meet our goal of uh, hoping to have raised, and we did raise $50,000. We have the best radio family. And the most generous. I think they're very, very generous, especially given, you know, the way the, the economy is these days. But anyway, so thank you for that. So we pray for you. We're still praying this prayer uh, of consecration to the Holy Family, and um, uh, we'll continue to pray it. I think maybe till Lent we'll start a new prayer then, but we'll pray this prayer right now. So we begin in the name of the Father. And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We entrust our family to you. O blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth, you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. 
Oh, St. Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We entrust our family to you. Holy family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us. And we'll pray our prayers to St. Michael and the beautiful ancient prayer to our Blessed Mother, the Subtum Presidium prayer. As Holy Father asks us to pray these prayers every day to protect the church from the attacks of the devil, and we've added to that intention to protect our homes, our families, and our country from the attacks of the devil. So we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend defend us us in battle. battle. Be Be our our protection protection against against the the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray. pray. And And do thou, thou, O Prince Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray for us. St. Pope John Paul II, pray for us. And Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name yesterday, of... in a special way, uh, Father Andre Bassett, pray for us. Pray for he, us. We, uh, had ran, we ran the pilgrimage from the radio station to Montreal and <clears throat> Quebec, and so I thought of all our pilgrims on that beautiful trip. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful time we have, so we can't wait to do that again. Yeah, well. In the name of the Father, Father and Son, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit, amen. Amen. Please, please, so. an end to the pandemic. Oh, my goodness. I, I, we hope everyone had a beautiful, joyous Christmas yes. season. Yes. We had a nice, peaceful Christmas It was quiet. Time. It was low-key. We were at my sister's Christmas Day. We were there all together. Yes. We had family. My sister hosted with family. So that so was a nice treat. Nice. Mm-hmm. We all we all had a nice nice Christmas day. I made some meatballs and sausages. <laughs> oh, Jim the cook. The tradition carries on. And New Year's Day. The most fabulous dinner you could ever, ever wish for. Yes, it was. Uh, it was lobster fra diablo, but without the fra diablo. Yeah, we. we I would have put it out. I, I don't mind the spice, but I know you don't like the spice. I, so I kept, I kept too, the fra diablo out, but mm-hmm. it was. I'm not too crazy about super hot spice. With, you had gotten me pasta. From Italy, from Italy. Mm-hmm. and I was, and it was, and I forget the name of, it, but it was nice big round shell like pasta. And when you cook it or and mix it in with whatever you're preparing, some of those little meat pieces work their way into the lobster. The lobster it's almost like it. a little, it's a like a little shell or a it kind of holds it inside. Yeah, it kind of grabs so, it in the sauce. So it was a light red sauce with the uh, with lobster chunks, and That's it's right. just all mixed in together. That's right. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying my culinary culinary skills. Oh. Angela, we sent you sent a picture of the because it was New Year's Day. It was just you and me, but you sent a picture of it to Angela, our daughter. Yeah, she goes. I, I'm liking this new habit. She <laughs> likes my new hat, my new uh, my new vocation as, <laughs> as chef. Hobby, yeah. Chef. So anyway, I enjoyed. But that was a great pasta from Italy. Wonderful dinner. And it had the. It was like th- the three different like spinach, uh, and I forget the other two. Uh, it was like white, green, and. 
orangey, you know, probably a touch of carrot or something. Yeah, it was very good. Very the, good. The tricolor pastas. Yes. And very, very tasty. <laughs> I know. Now I'm getting hungry just thinking <laughs> about it. Let it simmer. You know, the neat thing was is I had to put the, um, once you take the meat out of the lobster shell, you take the shells and put them in the cheesecloth. The lobster shells. The lobster shells. So I went shells. to every store on the planet looking cheesecloth. for cheesecloth. I, I told the lady, I said, I don't know what I'm looking for, what it looks like, and where to find it, but I need something called cheesecloth. I needed cheesecloth. Because found it. so I took the, you take the lobster meat out of the, sh- the lobster shell, take the empty shell, and put the shells in the cheesecloth and tie it up. And as the sauce is simmering, you put the cheesecloth with the shells in the sauce and kind of break them up a little bit to get the flavor of the sea into the sauce. <laughs> so the new segment this year, I think maybe instead of name that tune, <laughs> I should have. I should. I'll find all kinds segment. of great recipes. Yeah, yeah. A little cooking segment. Boy, would that be great? Then we'd have then we could have dinner at a normal time when we're finished with the program. I know. Now I could imagine, like a, I don't know, call it what you will, like a dinner here. If you have some listeners that would come, and you could be the chef. Oh. <laughs> we have a nice little uh, meeting room, you know, with the the long uh, meeting table, uh, uh, like a dining like a long uh, dining room table. I can play music. I'll I'll provide the entertainment. <laughs> So it would be like a little ristorante. A little co- Jim's yeah, Cucina. Jim's Cucina. In, uh, La Ristorante de Manfredonia. Si. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to take a break, but we're going to – here's another little, little project we worked on over Christmas. Uh, I did play this on my little Christmas special before we left. I left you uh, before Christmas Day. Um, but our youngest son, Anthony, as you know, probably know, he's a, he's a composer and, a, and an orchestrator. Um, he does all these wonderful jingles for us here. <laughs> But in early, I guess it was early December, I was watching the uh, Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby special, right? his little, actually it was the last Christmas special he did before he passed away. It was in the mm-hmm. same year. He died shortly after that. But anyway, he, he and you, most of you are familiar, he, he recorded the little drummer boy. He is, his, one of his guest stars on this particular special was David Bowie, hmm. one of your favorites. One of my I have every one of his <laughs> I never liked David Bowie. Anyway. But what a nice collaboration as David Bowie adds this uh, descant, this piece on yeah. earth, well, I counter sent, melody. I, I called Anthony and I said, why don't we, because Anthony lives in Michigan, I said, why don't we do a little, uh, do the, the Bing Crosby, David Bowie version, record it. And uh, he orchestrated, here, he, he, he did a beautiful orchestration. And of course, he recorded his part in Michigan, I recorded my part here. And then we, after we finished the recording, he said, well, let's do a video too. So we did a video. And you can't see that on radio, obviously, but it is on YouTube somewhere. Anyway, so we recorded this, uh, the little drummer boy, the uh, Bing Crosby, David Bowie rendition. And it was a lot of fun doing it. So, And the reason, actually, the reason they did this originally with Bing Crosby and David Bowie is because David Bowie wouldn't sing Little Drummer. He I didn't, know, he so didn't like the song. I could slap him, but I can't do that anymore. And he God said, but I have to it. sing with you because my mother loves you. So yeah. anyway, within I think that, that desk can't they wrote within 10 minutes. Somebody oh came in gosh. and <laughs> really whipped it out. Brilliant. So Bowie would sing with Bing Crosby. But I love it. And uh, this anyway. one is well done, if I say so myself. I really enjoy it. So here's our son. We call him Anthony. He calls himself Tony uh, Manfredonia. <laughs> and me with the little drummer boy. And we come back. We'll be joined by Kristen Van Newton. So stay right where you are.
Welcome back, friends, on this first Friday in January. Good to be back with you. And uh, joining us now is Kristen Van Uden, who holds a master's degree in history from William and Mary. Uh, Kristen also studied the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. She's the author of her spokesperson for Sophia Institute Press. She's also the U.S.-based spokesperson for their recent release uh, that we're going to talk about right now, A Cardiologist Examines Jesus. Kristen, welcome to the program. Hi, Jim. I'm happy to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Kristen. This sounds fascinating. Yes, this is one of my favorite releases that that we've had at Sophia all year um, because it really just is proof of the real presence. Um, These are incredible. We tend to think of Eucharistic miracles as things that have happened in the remote past. And, of course, they have occurred all throughout church history, but they are occurring even to this day. And so Mm -hmm. Dr. Serafini examines five miracles from 1992 through 2013 that we have photographic evidence of and that were tested to the most advanced scientific labs for testing. And he also compares that to a miracle that has survived from the 8th century um, from Monsignano, Italy. And he finds across the board that the findings are very consistent and pretty stunning um, evidence of the real presence. So I didn't. I I wasn't aware that there were so many uh, Eucharistic miracles occurring r- right here in the 21st century. Right. I think um, I have a couple of books, even like you think of San Gennaro. Right. Or, yeah. Ages ago, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. we go. We visit those sites as pilgrims. So 
might be time for book two, the contemporary, contemporary yeah, miracles. Hmm. Right, sequels to all of this. I mean, even there were a few situations where Dr. Serafini decided not to include them in the book, including one in Buffalo, New York, in 2018. So they're happening, it seems, all the time, all around us. Hmm. So let's let's talk about again. The book is called "A Cardiologist Examines Jesus." It's published by Sophia Institute Press, and we're talking with Kristen Van Uden, uh, who was the U.S.-based spokesperson for this particular release. Um, let's talk about the similarities that that are noted throughout all of these miracles. Can you talk about some of those? Sure. So first similarity would be the way that these miracles happen. So, of course, as Catholics, we believe that the real presence is present within every single host. So the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord is is there, and that is a miracle every time the host is consecrated. What we mean by a Eucharistic miracle is when the veil between the appearance of bread and wine and the reality of what is there is taken away. And so it manifests as living cardiac tissue um, that is bleeding and that has characteristics of a heart that is undergoing distress, so pretty much evidence of the passion right there. So the way that these all happened were during Mass, um, and it's, it's kind of sad to think of because the Eucharistic miracles were all preceded by either a sacrilege or a neglect of the host. Mm-hmm. So in Buenos Aires, for example, um, one host was found on the ground, and then later another was found in a candlestick, and the priests couldn't tell how long it had been there. Um, and obviously that's very, you know, horrible to think of from the Catholic sensibility. Um, the process that is prescribed by the church for such a situation is to dissolve the host within water, leave it in the tabernacle until it's dissolved, and then dispense of the water through the sacrarium, so pouring it into sacred ground, sort of the next best thing if you can't consume the host. Mm-hmm. So in each of these cases, that process was underway. The host had gone into the tabernacle, and when the priest checked the next day, in each of this, in each of these cases, there was something that resembled a blood clot where the host had been or on the host, and it had not completely dissolved. So at that point, of course, they decided to send this off for testing to medical teams. And even though each of these miracles was very remote globally, um, and the teams were obviously independent, and in some cases were even blind studies. So in Argentina. For example, the scientists did not know the origin of what they were looking at, so they were purely um, just based on the evidence in front of their eyes. Um, in each of these cases, we see cardiac tissue. So myocardial tissue is one of three types of muscle tissue in the body. So you have skeletal muscle that moves, obviously, how we have movement, smooth muscle in the digestive tract, and then heart muscle, which is very distinct in and of itself. So it's immediately observable under a microscope just by the eye. But then when we got more into particular microbiological tests, we saw some pretty incredible findings. So the first one that I want to highlight is that this heart had evidence of two types of suffering, and we can really connect this to the account of the passion in the Gospels. So number one was an account, um, a, a condition called Tokosubo. It goes by its Japanese name, and that is evidence of extreme emotional stress. So this obviously ties right to the agony in the garden and what we know our Lord went through at that time when he was so distressed that he was even sweating blood at one point. Um, the the term literally means, Japanese, uh, a pot for trapping octopus. And so it is kind of describing what the heart looks like in this case. So it means that the 
part is constricted at the top and having a hard time pumping blood and then conflated at the bottom. So evidence of the agony and obviously the emotional distress that, that our Lord continued to suffer. Um, another condition that was present in each of them is necrosis. So that means cell death. And it's indicative of severe trauma to the chest area um, as well as blood loss. And so obviously you know that during the scourging there would have been that type of trauma. Um, and then also as the Lord carried the cross and fell three times without being able to break his fall, that would also be quite consistent with what we see here. So this also, and first of all, I'm going to reiterate that this these findings are um, in, in included in all of these miracles. They're, it's consistent throughout of these miracles. Yeah. Um, what is what, what what are we finding out about the biological composition of our Lord, uh, DNA, blood type, that type of thing? Is that also consistent? Yes, yeah. That's one of the most fascinating aspects of this book is that he was able to identify the blood group as the AB blood group. And that is actually consistent with what we find on the Shroud of Turin. So mm. that is something that is really beyond comprehension. I, I know some uh, skeptics of the Shroud especially claim that it's a forgery, but <laughs> Dr. Serafini takes that on head on and says it would have been more of a miracle to have accurately guessed the same blood type and then consistently placed it in each of these Eucharistic miracles and on the Shroud of Turin and on the other burial cloth. So, mm-hmm. Right. Good um, luck with that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and the the interesting thing about AB blood is that it is the most rare blood type. It is only one to five percent of the population. And in one case, in the um, miracle that occurred in Mexico in 2006, that team of medical experts actually further narrowed it down to be the ABRH negative blood type. And what that means is that only. 0.75% of the global population shares that. Wow. So it is very obviously the most rare. Um, if we get into a little bit of the theological reasons behind why our Lord would have the AB blood type, the AB blood type is the universal receiver. So when I first thought of just ruminating on, on what Jesus would have as a blood type, the first thing that comes to mind is the O blood type, right? The, the universal donor. But Dr. Serafini explains how it's actually more poignant that Christ is the universal receiver, because that means that all of us are dissolved within his precious blood. Mm. And that is pretty consistent with Catholic theology through the ages. Um, We have, of course, John Duns Scotus, who talks about the theory that Christ recapitulated within himself all of creation. And the AB blood group is actually the one that contains all the other blood groups within it. So when we think of what it means to truly receive the real presence worthily and um, just the mystery of our salvation, that that actually is quite poetic and does make sense along those lines. And that would also, Kristen, indicate that that was also Our Lady's blood type, right? I mean, Yeah, you know, they're not as well versed on the genetics of blood types, so it's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that the, the resemblance between Our Lord and Our Lady has been historically um, very, very strong. It was a very strong tradition that they both, especially on the Shroud, how Our Lord has that the longer face. I know that um, accounts of Our Lady have also discussed her as sharing that. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting um, segue, though, because of the, the genetic profile that was able to be discovered. Um, Interestingly enough, within these miracles, there was not enough DNA to come to a full genetic profile. Mm -hmm. So there was mitochondrial DNA found, which, of course, would have been directly um, come from Our Lady. 
And then there was enough to identify the, the person um, in the blind studies as a Palestinian male from that time when we know our Lord walked the earth. Oh. But there was not enough to get a full profile. Yeah. So Dr. Serafini is a bit grateful for this because it does mean that no one can attempt any sort of cloning <laughs> um, right. mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. um, which we can be uh, rest easy on. Yeah. But also, his theory about why our Lord's DNA was not fully accessible has something to do with the resurrection of the body, actually, and the fact that our Lord's body after the resurrection was transfigured and had no imperfections. Obviously, in this life, he was without without sin as well. But the fact that probably about 75% of the DNA was missing, Dr. Serafini explains that in regular humans, 75% of our DNA actually does not code for anything. Um, it's called junk DNA, and it's a series of repeating STRs that are good for identifying individuals, so helpful for forensics or um, ancestry DNA, for example, but they don't have any actual biological use. Um, so what he posits is that our Lord, as as God, as the resurrected, he, of course, he has died, but he is risen. So what we receive is his risen self uh, would not have need for this. And so that's another reason why it could be missing, in addition to just having an incomplete sample. Hmm. We're talking with Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press about their uh, recent release, A Cardiologist Examines Jesus. And uh, the website for Sophia Institute Press is sophiainstitute.com. You can check it out there. Uh, Dr. S- uh, Franco Serafini is the cardiologist who uh, who uh, did these studies and, and actually is responsible for what we read in the book. Um, just a little bit of background on him, uh, if you would, uh, Kristen. Sure. So Dr. Serafini is a practicing cardiologist from Bologna, Italy, and he has always been a Catholic, um, but has really become interested in Eucharistic miracles within the past uh, 10 years or so. Uh, of course, the globe has kind of been more apprised of these miracles because of the work of Blessed Carlo Acutis, um, and he was inspired by his work to investigate some of these locally and then further out into South America. Um, He has undertaken this project, so he's actually traveled to each of these sites where the miracles occurred, interviewed the priests if they're still available, um, interviewed the medical teams, and taken a look at the evidence itself where it is still available, and then... um, come up with this book, and it's the first that I really know of that compares each of these five from the lens of someone who has actually witnessed uh, firsthand the evidence that's left of each of them. Um, so he has this ministry uh, based out of Italy, so he is a speaker there. He has collaborated on several documentaries about Eucharistic miracles, and we're lucky enough to have this now in English for the first time. And maybe you can tell a little bit, we have a couple minutes left, uh, the implications sure. perhaps of these miracles for Catholics or and for the world in general, what what are the implications? Especially now, Absolutely. when I, I was going to say that the, the people that are you know on the planet now need so much proof. They're all about mm-hmm. the science. They're non-believers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scriptures are not enough. Just having faith and believing what has been handed on down through our traditions mm-hmm. and our teaching. You know, they want rock solid three D proof. Right. Oh, absolutely. And of course, we read in the Gospels that blessed is he who has not seen but yet has still believed. Mm -hmm. So uh, miracles play such an interesting role in Catholic theology because, of course, we believe in miracles of just the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and all the miracles that have occurred throughout church history. But we 
we believe anyway without seeing the evidence. So when we are given the grace to see the evidence, I think the purpose of that is to bolster faith among the faithful, and especially when it comes to the Eucharist and to the real presence, to really uh, a clarion call for a return to reverence, so to make sure that we receive reverently in a state of grace, um, things like that. I would say the overall message, too, for the world is one of love. Um, one of my favorite quotes from um, <clears throat> from the saints is St. Jose Maria Escriva, who says, remember that when you approach the tabernacle, he has been waiting for you for 20 centuries. Mm-hmm. So it's one just to, to remind us of, of the great sacrifice that our Lord made and the fact that we do receive him physically, sacramentally, and so intimately uh, on a weekly basis. And especially now, as even as as the church is is dedicating mm-hmm. these next few years to the Eucharist here in the U.S., that's uh, right. And uh, it kind of all comes together. So, a fascinating book. A cardiologist examines Jesus. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. Their website is sophiainstitute.com. We've been talking with the spokesperson for Sophia Institute, Kristen Van Uden, about the book again, friends. It's called A Cardiologist Examines Jesus. SophiaInstitute.com is their website. And Kristen, we want to thank you for sharing uh, the book with us and also this wonderful information about it. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. God, God bless, bless you. you, Kristen. Stay well. And friends, you stay where you are. We're going to come right back. Don't go away.
God gave us night and day so we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. All righty, that means it's time for our domestic church media chief meteorologist. Brand new year, brand new weather fell out of the sky today. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Hoffman. Hey, Jim, happy new year. Happy new year. Wow. Are you all shoveled it's out? Been <laughs> no, no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> let the let the sun do your shoveling. Yeah, no, let the sun do your shoveling today. Mm -hmm. That's what happened over here. Our parking lot is, is parking clear lot. and dry. Up, oh, are you there, Jimbo? Hello? Oh. Hello? I'm there. There I'm you there. go. Okay, Hello? okay. Testing one, two, three. You got yeah. us. Happy Here's? New Year. Happy New Year. All righty, good, 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 good. So, did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, it was great. Great good. Christmas. Um, some of the kids came home. And then they left, which was good, too. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're not and, listening. Uh, yeah, and the new year was great. So, um, you know, we just didn't do anything exciting, just sort of hung back and uh -huh. um, enjoyed the kids and enjoyed just being home together. It was yeah. nice. Good. good. Good for you. Well, uh, well, happy new year. New year. They said new weather. We had some. Act. I was just telling Cheryl while the song was playing that I, I read or heard up in uh, the coast of Maine was hit with a bomba genesis. Never heard of that. <laughs> or whatever they call it. This massive. Yeah, that's, that's what they call a storm when it um, you know goes off the coast and hits that warm Atlantic uh, water near the um, uh, the uh, what is it the. Uh, Come on, you know, the uh, Gulf Stream. Oh, the Gulf Stream. <laughs> the Gulf Stream. Um, you get that warm, you know, the warm ocean, warm moist, moist ocean, and it uh, explodes into a, a huge storm. Wow. That's what happened. Yeah. Not here, though. I was, you know, we, you know, we live over in Bucks County. We, we had, I'm going to say, maybe three, maybe four at the most inches over there. And over here in Ewing at the station had less, less snow here than we had even just across the river. So I don't know what the pattern yeah, was. Yeah, I was but... just, looking, just looking at the... The reports that came in Ewing, it says uh, 4.6 inches. Oh. Uh, that's close to yeah, what you saw, 4.6. Mm -hmm. Hamilton Square went out in Mercer County. That's where I am, 5.5 inches. And it looks like the winner is West Freehold in New Jersey. They came out with close to 8 inches, 7.6 inches. Wow. How about the South, the South Jersey? Because they got hit earlier this week, and we had nothing up here. 
Right. So, hey, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, I, I may have uh, I, I may have seen three or four flakes in Hamilton. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but my daughter was on Long Beach Island. They got about, you know, between 8 and 10 inches just inland in Manahawk and, you know, 11 inches. And then um, Ocean City, New Jersey, got about 13 inches down near Atlantic City. So I, it was definitely a coastal event and a huge gradient between the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> right. That's, that's true. Because yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was, that was Monday, I guess, and Tuesday... Now, of course, we know we have our station down in Cape May. Cape May got hit pretty hard. And Tuesday, uh-huh. I had to drive over to Middletown uh, in Monmouth County, and there wasn't a flake, there wasn't anything on the ground, nothing. So I thought maybe it was a coastal storm, but it didn't even hit that far north on the coast. It didn't even go up the coast. No. Nope, they got it in uh, you know, D.C., Virginia. I mean, you saw the uh, I-95 in Virginia, yeah. how chaotic that was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, through through Delaware, uh, South Put South Jersey in the coast and, um, and out to sea. Well, so here we are. I was, just, I was just telling Cheryl, I said, I think it's going to be a nice night for a fire at the Manfredonia household. Yes. Uh, so pretty pretty much of a great nip in the air. Mm. Yeah, actually, the, the temperatures out there are pretty cold. I can hear the wind whipping as well, so the, the winds are, are up. So uh, Ewing, where you are, 29 degrees. Freehold is 32. Hamilton, 30. Uh, Hamilton, where I am, 29 degrees. Cape May, 32. Uh, Beach Haven and Seaside are both at 30 right now, but uh, if you look at the ocean temperature, it's in maybe around 41, 42 degrees. So, uh, you know, hey, relatively speaking, the water's warm. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, I'll tell you, I was was looking online, just out of curiosity, um, and there was, it's just maybe maybe five or six years ago, they were wind, they were uh, what they called wind sailing on the frozen Barnegat Bay around Lavalette. The bay was frozen. I didn't think that that salt water could freeze that. I mean, I think Antarctic. Oh maybe. gosh, yeah. yeah. I remember back in the seventies when I was a kid um, down on Beach Island. The the bay was frozen and people were driving their cars on it. Oh wow, is it because it's so shallow? Because the bay is pretty shallow, Barnegat Bay. It's it's not a not a deep bay in most places. Is that 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 enhance the freezing point when it's that shallow? Maybe, I don't know. Well, it, it gets deep in some spots. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you you can get some, actually right right off. Uh, there, there's a pretty deep hole right off uh, the bay from uh, where my parents have their house. Okay, it goes down. You have know, thirty forty feet. You can also you can also hit also hit some sandbars along the way. I can tell you that (laughs) from personal experience. Plenty of sandbars in Barnegat Bay. But uh, so what? So it's going to be cold. What's coming up for the next couple days? Yeah. So this week looks um, looks pretty cold. So I guess we had a mild uh, fall into um, winter so far in December. Uh, I was out riding my bike, you know. And, and not having to, you know, bundle up too much right. in the, uh, you know, the 40s and 50s. But for contrast, um, starting off the new year with the snow and now getting cold weather, it looks like it's going to be cold just next week. So this afternoon, we're going to have some leftover flurries from the snow we had this morning. Um, otherwise, uh, it's going to be mostly clear. Uh, the high we already reached today, which is near 33 degrees, but we're going to get down tonight into the um, the mid-teens. So tonight, mostly clear, low around 15. Uh, the winds will still be quite strong, 10 to 15 miles per hour, 
Um, right now, the winds out there are gusting about 25, so it is pretty cold out there. Uh, Saturday, we're not going to get above freezing tomorrow, sunny with a high near 32. Uh, the winds will be still out of the northwest, but they're going to calm down to about 5 miles per hour, and then uh, later on in the afternoon, will be calm. Saturday night, mostly clear, low around 20. And then Sunday, we get into uh, a little bit of warming and a little bit of wet weather, so we might have uh, a slight chance of some freezing rain in the morning, but that'll change to all rain as the temperatures warm up through the 30s into the low 40s. So we get to a high of about 41 on Sunday. Sunday night, uh, showers will end late, and temperatures will fall back through the 30s to a low of about 27. And then Monday, first day of the work week, mostly sunny, with a high near 34. And as I said, going into next week, looks pretty cold. Tuesday, we're looking at a high in the 22 degrees, so low wow. 20s. Uh, Wednesday, 32. It'll warm up into the low 40s by the end of next week. But we're looking at the coldest part of this week being uh, Monday night into Wednesday. So Tuesday night, we could get to a low in the single digits. So, wow. Well, it is um, January. Be, it is January. This is what you know, what happened in yeah. January, right? Um, so uh, we, we were... Um, we had a good time of it in December with the with the more mild temperatures, but now we're paying back, paying the paper. All right. Mm-hmm. Low temperatures. Well, I'll tell you what, James, it's good to hear your voice again. Good to be back with you, and uh, we look forward to a very peaceful and holy year for you and your family, and um, thanks for all you do for us, and we'll look forward to hearing from you next week. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Have a great, uh, great weekend. Stay safe. You too, Jim. Thanks. God Bye. bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God gave us night and day so we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. It's time to name that Catholic tune. Time to name that Catholic that tune. ever popular Catholic tune. What a game show. So you can win a fabulous prize, listeners and viewers, because we are on YouTube right now. We have people watching on YouTube. Um, uh, listen to the, uh, I guess Cheryl will give some information about today's Catholic tune. Should I say it's a Christmas song or let them figure it out for themselves? Is it? <laughs> I'm not going to say. Oh, okay. I'm not going to say. <laughs> So go ahead, finish your. Okay. I'm sorry. I All right, so you're going to give you're going to give some information about the tune. Yes. Then play a little bit on the mighty Wurlitzer that we've wheeled in here. Or you're doing it on the. the, yeah. uh, the I'll just use the piano. The, I'm keeping it simple. Okay, keeping it simple. The Steinway. We rolled in the nine foot Steinway. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then when Cheryl plays that, you can give us a call if you think you know what it is. Six zero nine. Four nine three eight two five five. I had to think for a minute. Six zero nine four nine three eighty two fifty five. That is the contest line, 609-493-8255. Cheryl's going to give you clues and then play a little bit on the mighty Steinway. So you can go right ahead. And, you know, I usually start off by saying who it was written by or some clue of that type. In this case, I'm going to say it was not written or composed by Martin Luther. We know him as that. So great. he's off the list. Martin yeah, he's Luther's off the, the list. list. And okay. for a long time, it was attributed to him. But since they have disproven that, okay. he's a great hymn writer, as we know, from Germany and our Protestant brothers and sisters. But it is not by Martin Luther. Instead, it is now thought to be wholly 
American in origin. Oh, okay. So it was first seen in print in 1885 in Philadelphia, of all places. And I love the title of this songbook, Little Children's Book for Schools and Families. <laughs> Isn't that darling? It was a children's hymn um, d- developed to teach the Christmas story. So there's your clue. Uh, it was to teach the children easy for them to sing, you know, short, fairly repetitive Although throughout the years, it has um, been uh, inspiring other composers. So there are two very famous melodies associated with this hymn. Mm-hmm. So that's same kind of words, a neat two thing. different melodies, identical text. But now, if in your hymnal, I guarantee you're going to find both versions. Okay. All right. What else can I tell you? Um, I think in its earliest days, it was called the Cradle Hymn, but now it goes by another title. Okay. Do you want to hear one? So let's play a little bit while you're walking over to the Mighty Steinway. The number of friends you can call if you think you know what it is. But wait till Cheryl plays the little sample here. Uh, 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. Here comes a sample of the melody. And you know what I was thinking about doing is playing um, what I will call the alternate melody. Growing up, I knew it by Melody 1, all right? Mm -hmm. This is Melody 2. So I'm going to start with that one. Okay. Ooh. So that's... 609-493-8255. 609-493-8255. We heard that a lot in December when we played our music. Our, That's our Christmas one of the music. melodies. Mm-hmm. Maybe the lesser known. I, I don't know. I, I want to say they're equally as popular. This one, if if anything, is a few rungs below. Give it a, let's hear it again. 609-493-8255. Okay. So here's our alternate melody. And after that, maybe I can play a fragment of the uh, the first one that probably most people know. Do you want a piece? 609-493-8255. Here's There's a fabulous one. prize waiting for you if you call and get it right. I think they're going to get this one. Okay. Here comes a caller. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hi, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Maria, and I'm heading to work in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh, I'm sorry. What was your name? I missed that. Maria. 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 That's okay, what I thought. Hi, Maria. Okay, hi, Maria. What do you think it is? Away in the manger. Oh. Away in the manger it is. Very good. Maria from North Brunswick, New Jersey. We're working in North Brunswick anyway. Now, did you uh, know the first melody or the, uh, the second one gave it away for you? The first measure. Oh, hey, okay. Good are, job. <laughs> are you a musician? Yes, I am. Okay. Are you a musician in a church? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, good job. Yes, away in a manger. Away in a manger. Very good, Maria. So thank you. Thank you for playing. Now, don't hang up. I'm going to put you on okay. hold, and then Cheryl's going to get on the phone and get some information from you. Okay. Sure, not problem. Thanks okay, for playing. Great. Hang right there. 
And friends, you stay where you are. And here is actually, and you want to give a little bit of a... Uh, I should introduce this because I always love to find um, yet another expanded or rearranged version. So we're taking uh, the Away in a Manger that many of us know, and it's um, done by the contemporary group who won one of those acapella shows on television, you know, mm-hmm. contests, uh, Pentatonics. I think we all know who Pentatonics are. They do a great job with Away in a Manger, so enjoy this arrangement. Up way in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the Well, congratulations to Maria from uh, actually driving through North Brunswick or in the going working, to work, but uh, lives in South River. Like I said, and I shared with her that was my alma mater. I went to South River High School. Mm-hmm. Probably long before she was born. She sounds young. <laughs> well, keep up the good work, Maria. Well, and that sounds like a new voice, you know, a new yeah, name and a new yeah. voice. So this is good. Away in the manger was the correct answer to mm-hmm. the uh, to the quiz. 
And now, was one of them considered the Protestant and one of them the Catholic version? Right. The first one I played, Away in a Manger. The one from Philadelphia. Well, the original one is... Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. Away in a yeah. Manger. Okay. No is that the Catholic or the Protestant? And then a couple of years, that's the Catholic one. A couple oh, years later. The one that's more familiar. I, yeah. Oh. The more so familiar. they broke away from that one, too. <laughs> that's right. There's all this breaking away. Let's reunite everybody, can't we? But they, We're not singing those Catholic hymns. We're on our own. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a, a Mueller was the last name. M-U-E-L-L-E-R. I think I could for be wrong. The, but, which one? The, for uh, the breakaway? For the breakaway. The breakaway. Yeah, for the other one. Sure, Mueller. But German. now they're both, like, I feel like they're... As equally known, I don't know. Maybe because I just I play them all all the time, and I I know them doesn't mean everybody else knows them. But Maria knew it. Yeah, that's so right. Good job. So good job. So she's learning the, how to play the organ, Maria. Yeah, she's working on her organ skills. And because you were just saying to me the other day that they're hard to come by now, organists. I know, Maria. <laughs> drive carefully. Don't break guaranteed any hands. gigs. I would imagine if you're an organist. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Yeah. We're going to hopefully get away for a bit in February, as sometimes we do our little retreat before the March Madness and mm-hmm. Lenten yeah. busyness and, and Radiothon um, to find an organist sub. So let me put this out there right now. Maria, do you want to come to Flemington? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's really within your path of travel or in in your radius where you would travel, but um, I need organists subs. Hmm. Anybody I know. So if you know an organist or you are an organist, let Cheryl know. Right. Anybody I know has their own place that they play. One lady, um, maybe you're listening. Hello, Sharon. She's with a parish who has... Okay, we're going to have to head out. Oh, we have to go. (laughs) But like the twinning and the tripling. So she's playing at three different churches. Anyway, call me if you know something. All right. Stay tuned, friends. We're going to take a break and be back in just a little bit. Next hour, we're going to have our gospel reading for this Sunday. And our reflection today is by Father Gary Koch. And our guest next hour, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, who is going to talk about Ministers of Christ, his brand new book. So don't go away. There's more to come on Friday Live. Have you downloaded the Domestic Church Media app for all your mobile devices? It's free and enables you to stay in touch with Domestic Church Media and all we have to offer. You can tune into our live broadcast 24-7 as well as listen to our archives and podcasts. And you can even watch our local DCM programs live on our YouTube channel or watch the archive programs all on your phone or tablet. In addition to all things DCM, you'll also have so many other resources right at your fingertips. The free Domestic Church Media mobile app also gives you the daily mass reading the Liturgy of the Hours, numerous common prayers and novenas, and daily saints of the day. And that's not all. The Domestic Church Media Mobile app also includes the complete catechism of the Catholic Church, the entire Bible, as well as multiple Catholic periodicals and newspapers like the National Catholic Register, Our Sunday Visitor, and so many others. Plus, you'll have access to all our local diocesan newspapers and so much more. Go to your app store today and download the free Domestic Church Media Mobile app. We know you'll love it. 
We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? It's a good question. I gave a huge hug this morning. We've actually organized a date night tonight. I took the baby while she worked. Um, I sent my husband a love email. I have carried my wife's purse. I shopped. We talked. I made my wife laugh. She's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Do something a little special. Get started at foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Jim. And we invite you to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. for Friday Live. Two hours of talk, music, interesting, and informative interviews. We'll also have a reflection on Sunday's Gospel, Jim Hoffman's weekend weather forecast, and you'll have a chance to call in and play one of our fun game shows like Saint of the Day or Name That Catholic Tune. It all happens right here Friday at 4 p.m. That's Friday Live, proclaiming the joy of the Gospel, communicating hope, on these domestic church media stations. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Our blessed Lord considered the three possible forms of church government. The democratic would be one in which a majority vote decides, in which everyone has an entirely different opinion of what is to be. The aristocratic is an appeal not so much to the majority or to the masses, but rather an, an appeal to an aristocracy, a house of parliament, a senate, a congress, a house of lords. And the theocratic is one in which God chooses one man as he chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and guides and protects and directs this man. Peter holds the primacy, primacy not only of honor but also of jurisdiction over the church. He is the vicar of Christ, he is the first pontiff, he is the first pope. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. We have a big problem. Our culture is dying and souls are in danger of being lost. The answer is conversion to Jesus Christ in His Church. St. Paul Street Evangelization is a Catholic organization and we have hundreds of teams spreading the good news throughout the country. But we need your help. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Find out more and get involved today at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. This is WFJS 1260 AM Trenton, WFJS 89.3 FM Freehold, WGYM 1580 AM Hamilton, and WSMJ 91.9 FM North Wildwood, Cape May. Communicating hope on Domestic Church Catholic Radio.
Well, welcome back, friends. Another big hour of Friday Live on this January 7th, first Friday edition. I am Jim. And this is Cheryl. And we'll be here for the next hour. Hope you will, too. Coming up, uh, we're going to be sharing with you uh, the gospel for this coming Sunday, the uh, baptism of the Lord, which is really the official end of the Christmas season. Mm -hmm. And our reflection today by our good friend, Father Gary Koch. And then later on, we'll be joined by Dr. Peter uh, Kwasniewski. Is that what I said, right? You are correct. Kwasniewski, mm-hmm. uh, who has written a book called Ministers of Christ, is going to kind of tell us about the uh, history of the liturgical ministries uh, that there are, lector and, mm-hmm. and uh, Father Dr. Peter will join us and talk about that. Um, also, today, being First Friday, normally the bishop would have been on at 3 o'clock, but because of the inclement weather, we've rescheduled Bishop O'Connell. Uh, he's going to be here on January 21st. And uh, coming up after this program, Bill and George with Brothers in Arms uh, will be a repeat. Uh, so the weather does wreak havoc on uh, on us here. So, you know, we were lucky. We were able to be here later in the day when everything had pretty much melted. melted <laughs> so, anyway, so here is uh, today's uh, or Sunday's gospel reading. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The people were filled with expectation and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. It is most fitting that as we end this Christmas season, we are challenged yet again by John the Baptizer. Often called the precursor of the Messiah, It is John who undertook the mission of preparing the people for the coming of Jesus. John also speaks across the centuries to offer us guidance and warning in understanding Jesus and living out our own faith commitment. First, John reminds us that we need to be looking for the Messiah in the right places. Sure, he was a popular preacher and baptizer. Large crowds of people came to the desert to hear John and to be baptized by him. He wasn't offering them a message that was easy. Rather, John challenged the people to holiness above and beyond that which was demanded by the Pharisees and Sadducees. John proclaimed a tough gospel, one that called for repentance of one's sins, leading to true forgiveness. Second, John warns the crowds of their need to approach the coming Messiah with proper awe and reverence. Such a great man as John knew himself to be unworthy to be a servant of the Messiah. He was not presuming to have an intimate relationship or friendship with the coming Messiah. Rather, he knew that the Messiah, as the Son of God, was greater than he. As we reflect this week on the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, we are called to consider the very implications of our own baptism for our lives on a daily basis. We are challenged to take our religious beliefs seriously to put them into active practice and to make them the very rhythm of our daily lives. We do this first by confronting our own weakness and sinfulness, seeking wholeness and sacramental reconciliation. 
As John called the people of his time to a right relationship with God, we too need to ensure that we have put our relationship with God in order. We do this on God's terms and not ours. If nothing else, the prominence of feel-good, self-help religion, and a gospel of prosperity popular in our times demonstrates the tendency to avoid the true cost of discipleship in favor of religion that is ultimately all about self-fulfillment and satisfaction, and most certainly not about self-sacrifice. Those who came to be baptized by John and those who sought Jesus knew they were sinners in need of healing and reconciliation. If John was preaching by our rivers this weekend, most of us would probably not feel compelled to go and hear him. Much of that stems from a failure to heed the second admonition of the baptizer. We have become overly familiar with God. With an emphasis of an image of Jesus as friend, we have lost the sense of awe and reverence due to Jesus as Lord and Messiah, the Son of God. As John the baptizer was unworthy to unfasten the straps of the sandals of Jesus, then so much less worthy are any of us to do the same. John instructed the Jewish community that the Messiah was greater than he, not only in teaching, but in stature and importance. Reverence due to Jesus as God is the first call to Christian holiness. We have also lost a sense of personal sinfulness. For too many of us, we think that a precursory act of contrition suffices in healing us of our sinfulness. We no longer recognize that deep sense of alienation that is a result of our sins. Like everything else in our lives, we feel like we can fix our relationship with God on our own. As we end this Christmas season and look forward to this period of ordinary time preparing us for Lent, we have from John two things to work on so that we might make this new year one in which we grow in holiness and faith, to live out our baptismal faith, and secondly then to do so with a prayerful reverence to Jesus our Lord, Savior, and Messiah, recognizing his presence in our daily lives, calling us to conversion.
Welcome back. And uh, that was an oldie but goodie. Songs of thankfulness and praise. One of those hymns, good old traditional hymns that are recommended for the baptism of the Lord because the wedding feast at Cana is is talked about in the, one of the readings as well. Uh, and so for, all that... For Sunday? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? All the, uh, all the text in the hymn really talks about the, those themes. Hmm. Very nice. I was sharing with the listeners... Uh, Yesterday, on the on the, the, the traditionally the feast of the Epiphany, which is in Italy, it's a bigger day of celebration than December twenty fifth, actually. As in some of the uh, South American countries too. Epiphany yes, well, is the Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And remember that many years ago, when our children were little, I was working with a a woman from Puerto Rico, and she was telling us how she they would put the, the children in Puerto Rico would put a shoebox filled with hay and straw under their bed. For the camel. The night before, yeah. the camels of the three kings. So as the three kings came through town, they would have the hay to feed their camels, and the three kings would put trinkets and toys and treats in the yeah. shoebox. Yeah, nice traditions, right? In Italy, too, they have the La Bafana. And it's kind of an odd thing, because I saw a picture in Venice. They were in the, the, the Venetian boats, the canal mm-hmm. boats, but they were all dressed. La Bafana was, was a witch, actually. But a good one. Am I confusing this with like Mardi Gras? I'm picturing that Venetian costume, sort of off-white muslin. Remember, we went to some sort of gathering at one with of our the good co- friend the Cucinellos. Yes, it was that Maria Maria Cucinello. Was that La Bafana? That was no. That was Mardi Gras. That was it before. Was. It was a Carnivale. That's what Carnivale. Oh, that's beautiful. Now Maria has she. Remember, she told us the great story of La Bafana. Hey, Maria, if you're listening, give us a call. <laughs> La Bifana. Help us with our memory cells. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we were in Italy for our honeymoon many years ago. And uh, uh, not Christmas Day. We got there the 29th. I guess we were married on the 28th. We mm-hmm. were there for New Year's Day. And we went to St. Peter's, but it was after the Holy Father. I'm sorry we didn't get to. I'm sure we could have gone to see John Paul II. I know. We went to Mass after. Uh, but it was it was kind of rainy and misty. But I remember the, the nativities. It was it was it was nice beautiful. to be there that time of year. And we were in a little bit of a different place now, not so deeply immersed Here in the faith, where we would have been chasing after <laughs> all those things. Now I you know I can't walk past a church without going inside and spending some time. And those are my days, rather than the the hardcore scheduled tours where you have to do everything. Just let me loose with a map. And a water bottle, and I just go up and down all the streets and find all the churches. Well, next time we go, I told you I want to go to the Church of the. I think they call it the Church of the Apostles. Because La, James, La Chiesa di Apostoli, Apostoli, James and Philip are buried in the same church. Your namesake. My namesake. My name is James Philip. So I would, and we never went for as often as we have been in Rome. Never went to that church, but I would love to go to that church. It's kind of surprising my... we missed one. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there are yeah. plenty of churches. <laughs> but the other thing is that every church has, whether it was it's a pope entombed there, or like you said, the relics of the great saints, or the, the piece of the cross, or the crown of thorns. I mean, no matter where you go, the famous paintings, the ceiling, the floor, there's something at every church. And if it's all in Italian when you go in, you don't really know unless you have one of my like handy-dandy guidebooks. Or a tour guide like Maurizio. Oh, Maurizio, we miss you so dearly. It was from Bologna or Genoa? Where, where did he Bologna. Uh, Bologna. But he, was a, he is a wonderful tour guide. I, I did 
text him or email him a while back, and I said, you know, we, we would love to like? come back. What's it like? And they said it's opening up, but we're reading. I mean, I think if you go to, if you go to Europe, you may not get back. Well, because fine you, with me. <laughs> you, 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 if you don't if you if you don't test the right way, right, you may not get back You're into stuck. the country. So. And people and have then to, they change to the rules. Masks. I mean, yeah. every few days there's another rule. You can get on the plane. You can't get on the plane. You need to do this. You need to do that. So, I mean, just. But do you remember how crowded like the buses were in Rome? I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. You couldn't even get the seats being on the bus sad. and everybody's wearing a mask. You're that close. You're literally nose to nose. Mm. But the other thing is, are, are they the going are out and about now? Because. Are they working from home like we do in America? Well, we were watching recently from St. Peter's. Remember? Right. Remember with the Holy Father's Angels mentioned the, pa- the square was packed. Packed. Right. So I don't know. But until it's all cleared up, yeah, it's pointless to try to, to pointless to try to arrange something. Because if it were me, I wouldn't want to go on a, a I wouldn't want to go there if you have to wear a mask in the restaurants and, you don't and enjoy in yourself. the churches and things. No. I just, you know. No. Wouldn't it, to me it would be Less than an experience. Yeah, yeah. But we would like to do that again. I would like to get back there. You always wanted to go to the Holy Land. There too. You know, Israel is the same thing. At this point, I'd go anywhere. I mean, it's exciting to go to ShopRite instead of Whole Foods. That's the kind of exciting life we are living now. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a different grocery store and not know where things are and maybe get lost and maybe have to backtrack. Not quite a pilgrimage, no. but that's the excitement that I have in my life right now, which is absolutely fine. It's downtime after all those Christmas masses, which everything went beautifully, but last-minute cancellations, at least in Hunterdon County in Flemington, where I am. Well, this Omicron thing has, you know, it's people have become so afraid of it and, and really— blown and up out of proportion. It's, it's, but what they did, it was—what, Christmas Eve was a Friday on Thursday— they made the school go virtual. So then everybody went nuts. They canceled the children's choir. You can't have them come sing at church if they weren't allowed to go to school. And all my best well-laid plans just went right down the tubes like 24 hours before we had to carry this yeah. out. Yeah. And it was a scrambling to mm-hmm. fill. But, you know, it can be very simple. Listen to the simple melody of Away in a Manger. You need a piano or an organ or a singer, and everybody joins in. You don't need 50 kids singing it, but it sure puts extra icing on the Christmas cake. It all went well, so I can't complain, but it's exhausting, as many of those music directors know. And uh, That went well. I was was at your noon mass. It was very nice. And I, I don't like to see it go. And I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat this year. I mean... We always play Christmas music on this station right. throughout as long as you possibly should and yeah. could. Mm-hmm. And many of the stations will shut it down. Stores, decorations are down, like the 26, the trees that are on. The, but this year, not so. Um, it was close to New Year's, and I went to the mall. They were still playing Christmas music. Good for them. And the decor was still up. I mean, so much that I, wow. I said, I'm going to go Christmas shopping all over again. And I wow. hit those sales. But um, it was inspiring. It gave me a little bit of hope. But I think it brings such joy and puts people in a good mood. Like, no one's stopping. Maybe they were playing the Christmas music so people would keep buying. Maybe. That was it. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have to buy, buy more presents. <laughs> like you just said, I'm going to keep buying. Yeah, it must still be Christmas. It's kind of this and even subliminal Two other stations. Impulse. I have a long commute, and I just flip the stations. I try to catch the weather or the news or this or that. And there were two other... Like secular stations mm. on the FM dial, 
that were still playing Christmas music. I, mm-hmm. I thought maybe they they were jealous of us, people talking about us, thanking us for the music. Well, they should be. Mm-hmm. They should be playing it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was that way when we were growing up. Even the secular world observed Christmas week. It seemed when we right. were little. Right. The last century. Now things. <laughs> it was the last century, wasn't it? Yeah, think about it. I was born almost smack dab in the middle of the last century. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes you sound like a dinosaur. Right, but it's true. <laughs> I was born in 1954, so that's almost exactly halfway through right? the 20th century. The, the 20th century, so middle of last century. I'm going to cough. Excuse me. Okay, use that button. There you go. Good for you. <coughs> Must be Omicron. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have had you have a little cough, but I, I haven't caught it. It could be like the icy, cold, dry weather. It could be the cat. could be the cat. It's the cat. On me. <laughs> no, you, you went to the doctor. She didn't bother giving you a COVID no, test. No. It's just all kinds of stuff is going around. Yeah. There are other illnesses, you know. Yeah, there are other illnesses besides Omicron. And, and respiratory things. I did write a little ditty about Omicron, but I won't sing it. Oh, you did? A little yeah. ditty? Yeah. Oh, I have to hear it. Here comes Omicron. Here, Here comes Omicron. Omicron. Here comes Omicron. Oh, that's nice. Right down Omicron Lane. <laughs> If you're vaxxed and fully boosted, it gets you just the same. <laughs> Thank you, James, for sharing. You could see where Anthony gets his great compositional skills. If yeah. your nose run and you find that you are sneezing all day, take your mask off, live your life, because Omicron's here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> I like uh, it. Yeah. I like it. Not to make light of it, but let's face no. it. It's not, people are, they said, you know, it's not... People are saying. <laughs> well, we have to learn to maneuver and. Well, live. we have to live with it. These things. I just, yeah. in fact, I read that there were five doctors, physicians on the White House's uh, advisory. COVID advisory board mm-hmm. who have said we're going to have to live with this thing. Let's just start working that way. From that, we'll never get rid of it. It's going to be here. It's going to no. be another, you know, another bug that's out there. Never, not as potent as it was when it first came out. It loses its efficacy along the way. Every year there's another cold, another flu. Yeah. And, you know, it's you take your chances. You get your flu shot if that's the way that you like to go. And now that the masks are a little bit fashionable and, and you think that that's going to protect you or me, you know, do that. But, um yeah, I, mean, that, that, I think that's we have part to of it. Just move on. You know, this whole this whole division between the the unvaxxed and the vaccinated people—it's <laughs> it, a shame because you know we we say that. Look, if you want to get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. If you want right. to get your booster, get your booster. It's up to you. It's your personal choice. Mm-hmm. No one has the right to tell you not to do that or to put you to ostracize you because you're getting vaccinated. You should be. If you if that's what makes you comfortable and you feel you need it, go get it. And your doctor doctor um, says, prescribes you know, that I, for you. you know, and, the, and the opposite is true as well. If your doctor says, you know, you don't need it or don't get it, I advise you not to get it. I know mm. someone who, whose doctor advised them to not get the booster because oh, of their so condition. Many, so many variables. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's just, but, it, it you know, I, I, the, the devil can take this and he uses it to his advantage and in, in, in just to create division and... and uh, mm. It's just horrible. So That's we hope this year it's it'll be. It's hard to believe it's going to be two years. I know. I don't even want to think about it. No, no. We were we were just coming back from from Alabama when everything shut down. We were on a plane. Right. That was the first <laughs> and, week of March. Right? And, and I think it was March twelfth, wasn't it? We were right. flying, coming back from from EWTN, and and, and before it was even they shut it a down. thing, you'd go to the little counter, you could buy your gum and your candy, and masks were. They were masks sale. in the airport. Like, they were selling masks those? in the airport. Yeah, I mean it wasn't even out there yet. No. No, no, but 
anyway, so we just pray that, and not to make light of it or to, but just to just get it out of here now. Mm-hmm. Like the now they're calling, they're saying people who have the flu and the SARS-CoV-2, they call them the flurona. Flurona. Wasn't that a song? My, My flurona. flurona. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So it's, uh, but anyway, it's, um, you know, and I did, you know, we did, people have uh, so many different opinions about it. So you don't want to, you know. No, we're not judge here to way, judge or, or light insult or, just, and, or even make no, light. I mean, people all. have passed. There's no doubt. People have gotten very, very, very sad sick. Very sad, and it's very sad. There's no doubt. There have been people but, who have been very you know, sick with so it. So do they with cancer or diabetes or any of these other things. And we have learned to accept that it's part of life and that some people will pass because of it. Um, you just can't stop <laughs> Right. Stop the whole world. We're we're all gonna ha- meet our maker in one day. I will say this know? though: I'm I'm happy that, as far as I know, the churches are remaining the same. They're not back yes. going backwards. They're not going back to the way it was two years ago. Right. Although I did see, I, we were reading. I was reading a bulletin from the church that we go out. We go to out in uh, in in Arizona when we are out there in in the uh, in Phoenix. Um, and their bulletin, they had the list of their masses in their bulletin, and in red, the 5.30 p.m. Sunday night mass is the masked mass. If you want to go to that mass, you have to wear your mask. Right. I guess because people are saying, you know, who really feel they need to wear the mask or they don't that, want to be among those believe that, that other people should be wearing their mask, right. get and upset and get go. concerned. Well, here's a special mask. If you come to this Beautiful. mass, you have to wear a mask. Beautiful. And that makes everybody, you know, that that's the mask you go to. That's You're the making mask you the accommodation yeah. for everyone. I think so, that's brilliant. But I, I mean, they're not really, they're not uh, mandating the masks at mass. So no. here, right. and maybe there are dioceses where they are. I think in some, like New York, mm-hmm. I think some of the bigger cities, Boston, I think I read. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Where they're, the, 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 they uh, went back. Bishops are, you have required the masks in, huh. in the cities. Mm. I don't know if they're the whole archdiocese or the whole diocese, but here. At least city churches. Well, you yeah. know, people, and there, you know, people have. Uh, People, you know, there are some people who, because of comorbidities, are very vulnerable to right. illness. So, you know, God bless you. Wear your mask and yeah. do what you have to do. And stay safe. Yeah. You know, no one's judging anybody here. No. We have this discussion every morning. Every morning <laughs> from about, oh, 9.30 to 11.30. Our coffee break. Our we coffee break the... in the morning. We go over we go over all this. about Solve was, the problems of the world. Who and... said what? What are they saying now? What's Ooh. What's new? What's not new? What are we going to talk about when this is really passed? When this is all over and everything is back to normal? We're, we're playing with those babies. We're talking about our grandchildren. That's so right. keep that. Can we ask the people to pray Yes, we, I've, told, I've told the listeners that we've. Oh, my. And God bless our son and his wife. And they, they you know, are being cautious. And, and uh, because of our vaccination status, you know, we're not right now you know, able to be with And we respect their decision no, as parents. But we're also slowing, dying a slow death, if oh, you ask me. It does, it does of hurt. Of a broken heart. It does hurt, yeah. Because, you know, we, then we've Zoomed with them, and they've sent us videos, and we've talked with them, but uh, we just haven't been able to well, we get on the floor to, and play with them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We used to babysit. We would help them. I mean, just from that side yeah. of things, as yeah. as family, you want to help your family in any way, and you know they have to be busier than anything. Oh, absolutely. Little, three little ones, one, three, and all five. All hands I mean, on you know. deck, you know. Sure. We understand. Right. it. We, we've totally respected that, their decision. We don't, we don't uh, you know, try to encourage them to do anything other than that they want to do. Right. But we certainly have. <laughs> it's been tough. It's been, it, that's a fact. It's been difficult because yeah. we love we love our vocation as grandparents. Well, that was just like a new chapter that yeah. 
So when everything is back to normal, that's what we'll be talking about. That's right. So please, God, and if you just keep that in your prayers, that uh, to pray this thing away for the sake of everyone, for families to get reunited and to people to feel comfortable. I mean, I still know people that are not coming to church, and they're suffering. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be staying home. I don't want to be watching it on TV, but I'm petrified. It's very real. For some people, very, very real. Absolutely. And you don't know their reasons why. Right, right. So we just got to pray it away, pray it away, that's all. As I said, the devil will take advantage. He'll take his opportunity when he sees the opportunity for division and Mm -hmm. separation and fracturing of of relationships and families. His foot is in the door. Yeah, absolutely. His fingerprints are all over this thing. Yeah, evil, right? Well, let's see. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. Did I say that right? Yes. Nevsky, Nevsky, Kwasniewski, yes. uh, who has written a book called Ministers of Christ, uh, published by our Sunday Visitor, and he's going to be with us in just a few moments. So we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. So stay where you are, friends. There is certainly more to come on Friday Live.
Well, welcome back, friends. Uh, Dr. Peter Krasniewski is a Thomistic theologian, liturgical scholar, and choral composer. He taught at the International Theological Institute in Austria before helping establish Wyoming Catholic College, where he was a professor of multiple subjects, a prolific writer and lecturer. He contributes regularly to a wide variety of websites and publications. And in his brand new book, The Ministers of Christ, Dr. Kwasniewski marshals an irrefutable defense of the Church's historical teaching that her liturgical ministries, including those of lector and altar server, should be performed exclusively by men. So we want to welcome to the program Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. Dr. Kwasniewski, welcome. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate the invitation. Well, we're happy to have you here, Doctor. And, uh, and Jim practiced a long time for the proper pronunciation of your beautiful last name. Oh, <laughs> thank you. you. You you nailed it. Well, <laughs> I'm married to a part Polish, a lovely young woman so, here, so... A little coaching <laughs> on this side, a little coaching. Uh, so tell us, Doctor, this is something that, again, can be controversial, I guess, these days, but in your research and, and in your understanding uh, and the Church's historical teaching, that liturgical ministries, uh, including lector and altar servers, should be performed exclusively, exclusively by men, uh, let's delve into that a little bit, because obviously today sure. that's not what's happening, and maybe tell us a little bit about what you're finding out or what you, what you know to be true. And if I could just add briefly, I think many of our listeners will remember the day, and I do, um, when the altar servers were just the boys. And somewhere along the line, you know, they, they introduced the girls serving. I know some parishes that really don't promote that. You know, they have the boys serve first, and only if a girl gets in there and starts begging They'll let that happen, but um, mm-hmm. so I think the listeners are familiar at least with that much. Yes, yes. Well, so the, the point of departure really for me was, and has been on many questions, just a careful study of what the Church has done for so many centuries, actually for millennia, in in in, in connection with this question. Um, you know, if you, if you look into the the records of the ancient church, of the medieval church, of the early modern church, really all the way down to the Second Vatican Council and even beyond. Um, so as I say, nearly 2,000 years, there's, a, there's an unbroken tradition of having only males, men and sometimes boys, substituting as altar boys, serving ministerial capacities within the sanctuary of the church. So that would be, you know, in, in the, obviously priest, deacon, in the old days, subdeacon, um, acolyte, lector, you know, these are all the ministerial roles, some of them, you know, in the form of a sacrament of order, and some of them in the form of a sacramental, uh, you might say, like a blessing or a deputation to perform certain works of the liturgy. And when you look into it, you see that there's a really profound theological meaning behind this. It's not just an expression of you know, uh, of chauvinism or of sexism or something like that, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately what a lot of people tend to think under the influence of feminism. And so, you know, that it seems to, it seems to me that either the church was wrong about something pretty important for a really long time, and that had to be fixed in the 1970s or, or 80s, uh, or the church was right, and we've taken a wrong turn, and we need to seriously reexamine that. Now, if I had to guess right now on a quiz and uh, put down an, an answer, uh, uh, my thought would be that these ministerial ro- roles were to foster the priesthood. Uh, would I be getting close? Am, am I warm with that, like you have them serve? <laughs> yes. I think it's always been 
I would describe it more as um, as a practical side effect or a mm-hmm. consequence of having boys and young men um, serving in the in the sanctuary. That it would be a kind of apprenticeship in right. the sacred liturgy. They would learn from from those who are older than them uh, than they are, and then they would and they would uh, admire. Hopefully, the, the the example of a good priest would it's inspire them and would uh, would awaken vocations. And we know that that happens. I mean, even statistically, mm-hmm. there have been studies that that show that uh, that vocations come from altar serving. We're talking with Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, uh, and his book is called The Ministers of Christ, published by Sophia Institute Press, and of course their web address is sophiainstitute.com. Doctor, it was St. Pope John Paul II, I believe, who finally permitted um, altar servers to be also girls, I think, if I'm I'm correct, back in the 80s. Was it under great pressure? Was it something that he really wouldn't have wanted to do. We can't read his mind or know what he was thinking, but, yes. you know, someone like Saint, the good St. John Paul II, who approved this, uh, obviously creates some kind of, a uh, little bit of, of questioning as to why. Sure. Yes. Well, you know, the, the, so the, the more immediate um, response to your question is, in fact, the Vatican resisted for a long time uh, the pressure that was being put on it to open up um, this really substitutional role of altar server. What I mean by that is that, well, I have to explain something that's very important. Um, The Church traditionally for all those centuries had ordained ministries from priesthood all the way down to, you know, porter and and exorcist. You know, these are the the famous minor orders, the subdiaconate. There were seven of these, three major orders, four minor orders, and they they were considered to be ordinations, although of different sorts. and yet, in many situations and in many parishes, for hundreds of years, you didn't have ordained acolytes, for example, to serve at the altar. So what happened instead was that boys, usually often boys, uh, were simply called upon to substitute for them. So when we say altar boys or altar servers, we're, just, we're really just talking about lay people who are given the the privilege of, you know, if, if they're men or boys, putting on a cassock and surplice and helping the priest in the sanctuary. They're not actually acolytes. That, you know, that's a technical term. Um, so the Council of Trent actually, you know, said we want to get back to having ordained ministers for all of these different functions. That was, you know, what the Council wanted, and um, and that, that, that didn't really play out except in monasteries and cathedrals and other places with, with larger resources and, and more splendid liturgies. So um, there was this pressure put on John Paul II to let girls also serve. You know, they, can't, they, they couldn't be acolytes at the time, but he said finally yes. And I think what we have to appreciate is he said it was permitted, it wasn't required. Um, it was made very clear that no priest had to, to use altar girls. Um, and in, implicit in that was, I guess, a little bit of a prejudice, you might say. Uh, but uh, that is, if you're going to open it up, why would you, you know, allow that kind of thing? Um, and I think it's just, you know, uh, you, some people might find this a controversial statement, but not necessarily everything that popes are pressured to do is is, is, is the right thing. You know, Paul VI was also pressured, for example, to allow communion in the hand. Um, and that was very, very controversial in its own time, and a majority of bishops were, were against it when it happened. So there are things that, that have been done, and they can be undone, you know, by, by a future pope. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess at this point where we are today, uh, and I'll use my wife as an example because Cheryl here is she's the director of music and the main organist in her parish. Is that something that would have would have been done strictly by men in the past as well? Well, yes. And now with music, that's a, that's a, it's, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. As a musician myself, I've thought about this a lot. Um, there, there was a, historically speaking, yes, men would have been the cantors, uh, mm-hmm. and in the, say, in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance, choirs, polyphonic choirs, were formed of men and boys, like boy sopranos mm-hmm. and male altos as well. Uh, so you could do all the polyphonic music just with men. But part of the reason for that is that in many older churches, especially if you go way back to the Romanesque or the, the uh, or even older basilica-style churches, the singers were actually in or near the sanctuary. They were in what was called the choir of the church or the transept of the church. So they were more closely involved in the liturgy. Everybody could see them. They were vested. You know, they were exercising what looked like a ministerial or at least quasi-ministerial function. Mm -hmm. But later, after the Renaissance and into modern times, choir lofts began to be built in the back of churches. And that was done for a number of reasons, um, architectural reasons and sonic reasons because of the way the sound could carry, um, and also, you know, just to kind of keep the musicians out of the way, you know, and and less of a distraction, especially if you wanted to have a large ensemble. Mm -hmm. Um, So once you had choir lofts that were far removed from the sanctuary, it was uh, it was a new. It was it was a different ball game. You know, you could ask, well, why why couldn't men and women both go and sing in the choir loft? They're not actually in the sanctuary of the church doing the liturgy that way. They're just contributing the music. Um, and so, in fact, in the 20th century, uh, the the rules that existed about having only men and boys singing were relaxed uh, for that reason. Um, I think the main point there is that cantor, uh, to use the technical term for a singer, was never considered an ordained ministry, right? Mm-hmm. It was just a service. It was just a, how should I put it? It was just a job of providing music. Uh, it wasn't like being an acolyte because you weren't handling the sacred vessels or the bread and wine or the immediate things concerning the sacrifice, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense when you really dig a little bit deeper and, and talk about the sacramentals, the vessels, the roles, the duties, assisting the priest you know, there's a lot yeah. of different levels here. Jim, now this is going back to maybe to the 80s. Wasn't there something, a role, it was like a narrator? Am, am I? Commentator. They commentator. called it commentator. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't remember I was that. a commentator when I was in like, high school. This sounds like a ball game. <laughs> <laughs> How yes. did that come about? <laughs> and short-lived, Yeah, no, maybe. I mean, that certainly there was there was a role. Uh, and, and in fact, even the Council of Trent um, mentioned in response to the Protestants, the Council of Trent recommended. So the Protestants accused the Catholics of having a liturgy that that the faithful didn't understand, and the Protestants said, you know, the liturgy has to be in the vernacular. And the Catholic Church, in response, said, no, it doesn't have to be in the vernacular, but the liturgy should be explained to the people in the homilies and by comments during the liturgy. Uh, and the, the homily part was taken up, but fortunately, I think, the, the commenting idea was not taken up. Um, but then there was a short period of time where, you know, you did have that kind of commentary offered during the liturgy. Uh, and I think, fortunately, that's, that's also tended to, uh, that, that's, that's gone away, because it, it just, it adds, it, it's like, a, as you say, it's like a talk show or a, a, like a baseball game. You know, we don't need the running commentary. We should just let the signs 
and the symbols and the music and the texts of the liturgy speak for themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Peter Krasniewski about his book uh, called The Ministers of Christ, published by our Sunday—I'm sorry, Sophia for Institute Press. That's <laughs> sophiainstitute.com. <laughs> And, uh, Doctor, in the book, as we have just a couple minutes left, um, you do path, uh, 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 chart a path for a healthier life in the Church. What, 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 what's, your, what's your ideal in these roles? Yeah, so my, my ideal would be just, just to step back and ask ourselves, you know, what, what is really going on in the liturgy? The liturgy is a symbolic language, um, and even the Church building is a symbolic language, the architecture of it. So... What we need, what Catholics need to do, and what, of course, the clergy need to explain and, and learn themselves and then explain, uh, is that the sanctuary, the church is, is basically built in three parts. The sanctuary, uh, the nave, and the, the, at, the atrium or the foyer or the entrance. And these are symbolic. The atrium or the foyer uh, is the place in the ancient church where catechumens and penitents went, people who couldn't actually enter into the church because they were either not yet baptized or because they had, they had gravely sinned and needed to do penance before being readmitted. The nave was where the faithful, the lay faithful, uh, gathered and prayed, and they represent the body of the church. And then the sanctuary, where the altar of sacrifice is located, that represents Christ, the head of the church, um, he's the one who offers the liturgy. He offers the sacrifice. He is himself the sacrifice. Um, and as it says in St. Paul, you know, the, the head is to the body as the bridegroom is to the bride, right? So this, this nuptial imagery is built into our churches, or should be. Uh, it's, it always has been. And it's built into the conduct of the liturgy. The priests and the ministers, they represent Christ, the bridegroom, and the faithful, all taken together, represent his immaculate bride, the church. That's what we're called to be. Um, and so when we, when we ponder these kinds of symbolisms, we start to recognize that, um, you might say, cognitive dissonances are introduced when we have, for example, lay people going up into the sanctuary and doing things, or we have men and women mixing there in a way that's it's confusing. It, it, it you know, it's, it undermines the symbolism that I was just talking about. And it's not just about symbolism, it's about theology, right? This is about, you know, the basic theology that we get from St. Paul and from the Church Fathers. So that's my, you know, my ideal is that we rediscover these really profound truths, and then we try to act in such a way that our liturgy proclaims them and doesn't subtly confuse them or contradict them. Well, thank you very much for that, Doctor. And again, friends, the book is called The Ministers of Christ. We've been talking with the author, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, and the book is published by Sophia Institute Press. Their web address is sophiainstitute.com. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for joining us today and for all your good work, and um, we hope maybe have you on again sometime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you. And friends, you stay where you are. There is more to come. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Bishop Robert Barron. Tolkien has reached out to, you know, Nordic culture and literature and Icelandic sagas and all sorts of things. He learned a lot about the good, the true, and the beautiful from his study of pre-Christian cultures. He used narrative forms that were accessible to the culture. He adapted that to evangelical purposes. So that shows you that flexibility. It shows you a certain um, creativity in the evangelical uh, art. He did not proselytize. Rather, he very delicately and indirectly and cleverly 
evangelized through the imagination. So that someone taking in these great stories of Tolkien or his friend C.S. Lewis, they're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. I recognize that pattern. So that finally when they hear the gospel, they'll say, yeah, I understand that. I learned that from the Lord of the Rings. I learned that pattern from the Narnia stories. That was the genius of those fellows. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the Church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, heard right here on Domestic Church Media, weeknights at 5. My family left the church because of a, a, a very negative experience with a specific priest, and that took my whole family away from going to church for a long period of time. There were other Catholic churches, and there were great Catholic churches and great priests, but we stopped because of that one specific instance. And in a way, I was, I was cheated out a big part of my journey and my life uh, because we weren't in the church. In life, it seems like we're always enslaved to something. And I think that's, that's basically where our, what our culture is all about right now, is we are, we are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. My involvement in the church, my relationship with God is who I am. It, it's what gives me my identity. Thank God I'm home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. All right, welcome back. A few minutes left here before we have to head on out of here. Uh, he was interesting. I, I wish we had more time with him. We can have him back on. Well, we'll have to. I have to look up his, his, his music, his choral music side. I know because uh, it says he writes choral music. Yeah. And it's probably like fine traditional music. That's my prediction. All right, well, we'll have to look him up. We'll look it up, and we might have to do it again. So maybe I should put together uh, Jimbo's cookbook. <laughs> and that's <laughs> a nice title. We have the, the, the lobster fra diavolo. We have, of course, my mother's meatballs and sausage. Um, and uh, my salmon, my stuffed salmon is pretty good. Oh, it's very good. With stuffed crab meat. Mm-hmm. Stuff with crab meat. <laughs> and my, the roasted vegetables. Oh. That's easy. I could live on those. Roasted vegetables is great. You just get all your favorite vegetables, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, put a little yam in there, zucchini. carrots, zucchini. Potatoes even. And you, you, you put them in a pan and you, you uh, dribble some olive oil on it and you put some salt on it, throw a couple of cloves of garlic in there. Maybe some Italian seasonings. Oregano, oregano. Okay. And then you mix it all up and you just roast it for like at 475, 480 for about 30 minutes. Now, could you do those on the grill? Is, that's different. Grilled well, you vegetables. can grill the vegetables, sure. I've, uh, the summertime I was grilling. Remember, I grilled the zucchini, the zucchini. I grilled that's the, all pa- I needed. the, the, the Oh, my goodness. You don't like the red peppers, but the red, I love those roasted red peppers. Mm-hmm. So I have to think of other things to put in my cookbook. <laughs> okay. Desserts. You need a dessert <laughs> Well, I made the uh, St. Joseph's cake on yes. Christmas, uh, Easter, actually, last year. Those were very good. Which had and the custard. Own- your own twist. My own twist. Instead of the <laughs> custard in the St. Joseph's pastries, which are like a cream puff. Right. Instead, I did make I did make the the cream. Which the cream was very light. Oh, it yeah. wasn't a heavy cream. Yeah, no, it's like a custard. Yeah. But I was there was a choice. You could put that in there, or and I got chip uh, mint chip gelato. <laughs> kind of your favorite. <laughs> and put that in there, and then put hot 
fudge on top of it. Boy, was Which that good. Which is why now we're on Nutrisystem. I know, but boy, was that good. Boy, was yeah. that good. Yes. Well, but, you can have treats now and then. I'll tell you what, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, that was my twist to this St. Joseph's cake. But if you want to look at a great website, if you want to cook Italian cooking, I'll tell you who to go to. You, you go to, to YouTube and search for Italian Grandma. Oh, I love And that. she's in our listing area. Her name is Gina. I don't know her last name. Some Like St. Veronica's house In the Jackson area, yeah. yeah. And she has all these wonderful videos on there. Her And she's so Italian. And she starts to sing, and she tells stories. She starts, she's stirring pasta, mm, singing the Ave Maria. Yeah, very, she's very, just so down-to-earth and real. You want to just walk in the back door. Now I have to sing. Now I have it to sing. Now and I got a taste. Now I got a taste. But that's where I got my roasted vegetable recipe right. from in the St. Joseph's Cake. But you... Yeah, just go to YouTube and search for Italian Grandma Cooks or something like that, and she comes up. Her name is Gina, and it's uh, Bon Appetit. Boy, would I love to have show. her come. Or we go there. Let's oh, go yeah. there. Yeah, and she grows her own uh, her own um, uh, vegetables and So whoever, and I'm, I'm guessing a family member, a friend, maybe her son is doing the video. I think her grandson. Oh, I really? think, I think, I think. And we'll follow her outside, and she'll show, show you the garden. She's growing the, the parsley and the basil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the basil and the parsley. And sometimes they'll actually print the English words because she has such right. a rich accent that they do that as if it's a, And she tells you know. the story. When she was making the um, – I'm trying to think what she was making, but it was for Christmas. And she was uh, telling the story about how Christmas Eve they go to midnight. And her father would stay home. He would go with Mass on Christmas Day. But he would stay home, and they would all go, and, and she was just telling the beautiful stories of—they of, of lived on a farm yeah, in Italy. Oh, just wonderful stories. We, we should, I'd love to have her on. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> just right here, right here in our listening area. I know. We Hopefully she knows there's Catholic Radio because she's very, very and, you know, religious. we have the remote equipment. We could go there and do an interview That's with right, and she could make us something to eat because yeah. <laughs> it looks so good. And the cookies, and she wouldn't make just a little bit. She'd be making batches and batches. Sounds like she has a big, big family, family yeah. with, you know, how many children and who knows by now, maybe great grandchildren, but um, you know, she'd make dozens and dozens of and she made bread, and- she made Italian bread, and she was pounding it and kneading it, and boom, boom. Yeah, she's a powerhouse for a oh, little time, man, lady. man. But she always talks about her family and her big family, and she likes loves to cook for them. But you as we what? say in Italian, la familia è tutto, family All is in the family, you know, family oh. is everything, <laughs> la Close. familia è tutto. Family, is, Family everything. is everything. And you know what? When it comes to the end of the day, what do you have? That's right. Memories of family. That's right. Or relationships. Maybe That's your right. family is small. Maybe your family is gone. But you have the memories. And you have the, family. Of family. those times. And when... it's by no coincidence that God put you in the family that you're in. Mm. There's a reason and a purpose that you are surrounded by your family. The family Not everybody like now. wins that family lottery, you know. Sometimes it's a struggle. You did. With me. Well, yeah, but. Hey. Tell you other stories too. Well, yeah, but everybody, all families have their moments. <laughs> Every family, especially Italian families, they have their moments. Dust in the closets, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, la familia tutto. It la all comes out in the tutto. wash. It does come out in the wash. Well, but we'll pray for peace. We pray for unity. We pray for your personal health and well being. Yes. And we pray and for your family. Good new year, full of hope. Absolutely. We need that hope. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to head on out of here now. So uh, so we will see you or speak with you or be with you next Friday. Yes, God willing. And uh, throughout this month. 
And uh, kind of a normal month, nothing strange. Nope, nope. So stay safe, stay warm, and um, don't slip on the snow or ice. Mm, be, I'll be with you on Tuesday. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to Jim Hoffman, and uh, have a great weekend. And hello to Maria. Keep practicing your organ. Let me know what you need. God bless you. Bye.